Hey everybody, you're listening to the How to Have Threesomes podcast. I'm Key. And I'm Lily. We've been together for seven years in a relationship style we call monogamish. This podcast is going to give you everything you need to build a stronger relationship with your partner, create healthy boundaries, and communicate honestly. We're going to help you have fun, safe, sexy adventures and have the best threesomes of your life. Ready? Here we go. You. Hey guys, the episode you're about to hear needed to be re-edited. All the guests and stories you love so much are still the same, we just needed to bleep out a few things for privacy. Before we jump into the episode today, we wanted to tell you that the How to Have Threesomes video course is now open for enrollment. We have spent years working on this project and are so, so excited to share it with you. In this course, we teach you all of our secrets for finding your ideal unicorn, from navigating dating apps and play parties to forming connections with friends and with professionals. Regardless of your experience level, this video course is full of actionable tips, tricks, and worksheets, like the needs list, kinky questionnaire, and what makes a high-converting Tinder bio. We show you how to express your deepest desires without destroying a relationship, plus how to maintain excitement with your partner. If you want to have the best threesomes of your life, this is the video course for you. We are now also offering coaching for people who want that individual attention. Some of the best money we ever spent was on a professional to help guide us through our challenging times. And not every therapist is trained to navigate non-monogamy, so if you and your partner want some extra support in these tricky situations, we're here for you guys. Another thing that we're offering is a sexy getaway. Come and spend a week with us on a tropical island. We're going to take you on some amazing experiences like hiking waterfalls, partner acro, fire dancing, and some crazy party nights. We've also teamed up with experts to bring you workshops in Tantra, Shibari, trust building, and pickup. Plus, personalized photo shoots to show off the best version of yourself online. By the end of the retreat, you'll be more confident, have a better connection with your partner, and a deeper understanding of your desires. This retreat will be a bunch of wild and sexy times, and we're stoked to bring you guys out here. We're offering the video course and the coaching on teachable.com. If you want more details about the couples retreat, we have a form you can fill out. All the links will be available in the show notes or on the How to Have Threesomes Instagram. You guys are also welcome to reach out to us directly for coaching or anything else you might need. And now, back to the episode. This is How to Have Threesomes and I So the book that we're going to be talking about today is called Sex at Dawn, and it's actually a really incredible book. Um, we picked it up a few months ago, and we tried to read a physical copy, and it's a little bit slow in the beginning because it's very dense on the science and the data. Um, and don't let that turn you away because later on in the chapters, around chapter 10 or 11, it gets really fucking crazy when it talks about like the history of human desire and how these chemicals work in our brain and how sexuality is different through cultures all over the world. Um, and it actually gets very in-depth and makes you kind of reconsider some things you might have thought were fact that turns out are not true at all um, about why we love who we love and how sex works and what monogamy is and why it's practiced in so many places and how maybe that's not the best living situation for most humans. So we have a couple of notes and highlight points. I definitely would recommend that you guys read this book for yourself or the audiobook, which is what we did uh, while we were out here building our house. Um, it's a really good way to just, you know, have it on while you're cooking dinner, maybe not when your kids are around. To that point, here we go. So one of the first things we want to talk about is a belief um, that Sex at Dawn goes over in the book, which is that in a lot of Western societies or kind of European dissented, you know, Christian nations, uh, we've been taught that in general, women, you know, kind of trade their sexual favors um, for things like money or protection or status from men who, you know, might be older or wealthier. Um, and in return, men are looking, you know, for these kind of young, virgin-esque type of women who are fertile and very pure. Um, and we've been taught that this is something that must be biological, right? Men have to lust after these young, beautiful women, and women obviously want some big, strong, rich man um, to kind of take care of them in their weakness. 
But as it turns out, this is not at all true um, biologically or scientifically. This is something that has been ingrained in us through our culture um, and that as some studies show later on in the book, there are actually a lot of evidence that goes against this belief. Um, and it's really interesting because it's something that just kind of, it makes sense to me because it's a narrative that I have been told for so long, but it turns out to actually not be true at all. So we're gonna get into that. So one of the most interesting things that the book talked about was the fact that our closest relatives um, in the animal kingdom, which are chimps, bonobos, and gorillas, on average have sex of 12 to 15 times per pregnancy, right? So an average of 20 mating sessions, that will result in one baby. Humans, on the other hand, uh, we have an average of... 800 to 1,000 times. 800 to 1,000 fucks per baby, um, which essentially means that we are one of the only creatures on Earth, in fact, the only creature on Earth, that will consistently have sex not for reproduction, and also we have sex when our females are not ovulating, uh, which is a very, very rare thing in the animal kingdom. Anyone who has a pet dog or a cat has seen that. When your cat goes into heat and it starts screaming out in the fucking alleyway at two in the morning, it has such a strong urge inside of it to, to procreate. But it turns out, humans, we just do it all the goddamn time because we like it. It's not because we're trying to necessarily populate the earth because we're not. We, we just like getting all freaky. We're freaky monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> and there's not that many animals that have sex for pleasure. They said that chimps, bonobos, and dolphins are the only animals, in fact, that have sex for pleasure. Well, and us. Part of the reason that chimps, bonobos, and dolphins have sex so much is because we're all highly social and intelligent, and they say that community is integral for our survival. Yeah, in intelligent animal species where community bonds are really important, like hunter-gatherer tribes or troops of monkeys where there is social hierarchy and a lot of bonds need to be maintained, a lot of the times physical touching or grooming or sexual favors are traded as a way of keeping the bond in the group strong. The book also challenges the idea that humans are monogamous. It says that there are over 300 species of primates and none of them are monogamous. We're the only primates that are monogamous. Well, we pretend to be monogamous, but as one of my favorite sex researchers, Ether Perel, says, we claim to be monogamous because we have one sexual partner at a time, but by definition that is not monogamy, right? Penguins technically are monogamous because they have one partner for life, right? When they are mated, they are soul bonded, that is their partner. Some people, you know, they have a different girlfriend every three months and they claim they're monogamous, but really you're just slowing down the rate at which you're trading out your new sexual partner, so... They call uh, that a serial monogamy. Yeah, serial monogamy, which is kind of a joke in itself. Um, but as it turns out, and as we look around the world around us and the rate of marriage and divorce and sexual frustration in people, it almost seems like we're not designed to be with one partner sexually forever. So one of the things that the book did was it went to some of the hunter-gatherer tribes that hadn't had as much influence from Western society. They found that in the Amazon, they don't necessarily agree with this idea that there is one father for every child. They think that the fetus is a combination of multiple men's sperm. And this idea that they can have the strength of one partner, the mind of another partner. Part of the reason that this idea has lasted for so long is because these tribes need this sense of community to survive. They need another father figure to step up in the place of, of one that might have been killed during a hunting excursion or something like that. And I talk about this as if it would happen back in the day, but this is actually something that's currently happening in places like Africa and the Amazon. And I'd like to point out that when Ricky says father figure, 
these tribes don't have the belief that there is, you know, one parental mother and one parental father. They genuinely believe that there is, you know, the woman who gave birth to the child, but that every man in the village has equal responsibility um, for this life that was created and then to protect that child as it is uh, raised. So the entire community feeds and all the women, you know, breastfeed each other's babies and it's very intertwined, which um, is a really unique case study for the fact that jealousy doesn't exist there because they were never trained to have that type of ownership over this is your child versus this is his child. As I said, they have this really uh, unique and somewhat primitive, but it works out for them, idea of how pregnancy works. Um, they don't yet obviously have the science to understand that, you know, sperm in an egg cell and the genetics in that create a unique human. They just believe that every man in the village has to contribute to the health um, of that child. So as far as the women are concerned, you know, that baby legitimately can have, you know, 10, 12, 15 different fathers. Yeah, and their belief is actually that if people stop having sex with the mother, then the fetus will die. That's a crazy thought. So if a woman is, you know, halfway through her pregnancy, she better keep sleeping with a bunch of dudes, otherwise that baby's just not gonna happen. It's kind of crazy how different beliefs can be based on the evidence that they're provided with, right? Because technically there's no reason why you couldn't have sex all the way through a pregnancy, and as far as they're concerned, you know, it's like adding bits of snow to a snowball, it just grows over time, so why not keep building it up? Yeah, they also, I don't have a lot of information, it's hard for me to find it after the fact, but I remember in the audiobook they talked about one tribe in Africa, I think, who have this coming of age ceremony for women where they have sex with like 20 men in one night, like all around like a campfire or Like something. consensually, like this isn't the village raping this girl, but that it is her like coming into womanhood and this big celebration of her fertility that she gets to, you know, sleep with all the young bachelors of the village or something. Um, I think they had a whole chapter on it, but as Ricky said, we couldn't really find a lot of studies on that after the fact. This book went into some like really deep kind of scarce uh, case studies that feel like they're kind of hard to find on their own, which is one reason why I would highly, highly recommend you guys uh, listen to this book because they just dug up some crazy shit. Yeah, and this is multiple hours of listening and we're just trying to like cram as much information as we can into like a tiny podcast. So this is definitely only a grain of salt in the overall mound of salt. <laughs> <laughs> Salty mound of information. They don't have this sense of sexual envy that we have in Western society. In Western society and where I've grown up, it's very much felt like if I want to have sex with a girl, I have to be better than the guy next to me and every other guy at that party in order to have that opportunity with her. And in these tribes, they don't have that sense of competition between the men because everyone is a part of this community. And if one man is a great musician and one man is a great hunter, they're not competing against each other. They both get to have sex with the same woman and bring their qualities into the conception of that baby. Tying into that point, it's considered uh, very responsible and wise of these women to try and get the best character traits out of every man in the village, right? So the best storyteller or the best hunter or the best craftsman, um, it's kind of her duty and her responsibility to give her child the best chance of success by, you know, touching base with all of those men and hopefully um, acquiring all of those talents and strengths, um, which is a really interesting way to think about it. But I like the idea that it creates this communal responsibility for the offspring and kind of erases any need for jealousy or this weird um, tension and competitiveness between partners. Yeah, and we're not saying that this is like how modern society should be. It's just interesting because I know I grew up with the belief that... That there was only one way to do things. That there was only one way to do things. And that's not necessarily true. It's that 
this is just what we believe because we've been told this from our parents and from pop culture. But biologically, humans were not born monogamous. You know, it's something that we decided to do. And I'm not saying monogamy is the wrong choice. It can absolutely be the right choice for some people, but it doesn't mean it's the only choice. So one of my favorite things that the book talked about was when swinging and partner swapping kind of entered mainstream culture uh, in America, because at least as far as I had been told, and a lot of people believe, right, swinging and, and kind of threesomes and partner swapping is this kind of this hippie thing, right, that people did at Woodstock when they were, you know, on a waterbed and high with their friends. But in actuality, swinging became a thing because of Air Force pilots during World War II. So before the pilots would leave overseas on their duties, they would hold these large key parties um, and get together with a lot of other families and partner swapping would occur. So they would have these types of parties because it was understood that about 25% of the men would be killed in action and they wanted to have these type of bonding rituals where they believed that if they were killed in action, the remaining two thirds of the husbands would then take care of their widowed wives and children because they had um, created these emotional and sexual bonds, uh, which I think is first off kind of brilliant and also that sounds like a really good send off party. But I also like the idea that, you know, a lot of kind of conservative, maybe more religious people who frown down upon this, you know, very kind of liberal seeming action, uh, and it actually came out of the American military, uh, gives me a chuckle. One thing that I found really interesting was they talked about how sexual novelty increases testosterone in a man. So one of the examples they gave in the book that I thought was really interesting was they talked about this guy who wanted to go and sleep with another woman, and he talked about his feelings before he went to sleep with this girl, and he said, he explained it as kind of life and death. Like, this didn't feel like a choice he had in his mind. It felt like, biologically and chemically, he was just, he needed to do it, otherwise he was going to die. So then they went on to talk about sexual novelty and how it increases testosterone in a man's body. So I'm going to read this part right from the book. They said that men with lower testosterone are actually four times as likely to suffer from clinical depression, fatal heart attacks, and death by cancer when compared with men at their same age with higher levels of testosterone. The studies also said that men are more likely to develop Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia and have a far greater risk of dying of any cause, ranging from 88% to 250% depending on the study. That doesn't mean that if you sleep around, you're not going to die in a car accident or from smoking. When they said any cause, it was more about things metabolically in your body and with your chemicals being off put. Um, I would also like to lead on to that though. And I had a really long conversation where he seemed to be leaning towards, you know, but men need to go cheat on their wives because it saves their health. And one of my largest responses is, well, stress also leads to cancer and diabetes and heart disease. And I've heard that cheating on your wife can be a little bit stressful, especially when she finds out and divorces you. So we are definitely not endorsing um, at all men going out and cheating on their partners, but we are talking about the fact that this is something that should be taken seriously. And that when your partner, male or female, comes to you and says, this is something I really think I need. It's not them needing it the way you think you need a cupcake. You are having a literal biological craving for it. And also, low testosterone in women can also be dangerous. This is not a one-sided coin. Men don't necessarily have more desire than women. There are a ton of studies that show sexual novelty is important for both people, um, or both sexes rather. It just happens that for men, uh, the urges can <laughs> literally feel like it's going to kill them. Um, and that doesn't excuse bad behavior at all. 
but it is something to take note of. Yeah, just for women, just understand that these urges aren't just something that we're choosing to have. It's something that literally is brought on by chemicals in our biology inside of us. After we heard this in the book, one of the first things that mentioned was that, yeah, you don't need to have sex with other people to get more testosterone in your body. So I did a bit of research and I looked it up and they do have testosterone shots. The only thing is, is that I found testosterone shots to be very dangerous. I heard of a lot of cases where people got too much testosterone and got testosterone poisoning. I heard that the shots also didn't really assimilate into your body as well and they actually gave you higher chances of having heart disease. There are a lot of side effects that aren't commonly talked about. Another crazy, crazy fucking study that I just read was that women who go in for um, testosterone shots, which is usually not recommended. There are very, very few um, instances where that should be um, <laughs> the treatment. But essentially women nowadays who maybe feel like they have low libido or self-diagnosed will go in sometimes to a clinic or a doctor and pay for this treatment uh, where the marker of how much testosterone they should have in their body is based off of a man. And the doctor will then shoot them up and dose them to the equivalent of testosterone in a man's body, which to me is completely fucking mental, right? Like if his hormones were off, they should not inject him with as much estrogen as in my body. Like, I, I don't know who comes up with that, um, but just for any ladies out there, um, especially if you feel like your man is sexually frustrated and you feel like maybe your libido isn't as high, do not go in for testosterone shots. Please don't do that. Um, there's a lot of really dangerous side effects that come with that. Yeah, so um, and there are a lot of other ways to, to make yourself feel good again. Yeah, another thing before we get into those other ways, they have testosterone creams as well, but they talked about those being extremely dangerous and not being as um, beneficial as they might seem. But they talked about how people put testosterone cream underneath their armpits and how on some men it rubbed off onto their girlfriends or onto their kids and created really, really bad side effects like hair growth and all these other things. So testosterone supplements are maybe not the best idea, but there are ways to get it naturally. One, obviously, is through sexual novelty. Another one is through going on fast, short sprints and doing heavy weights go and skydiving. <laughs> yeah. Don't cheat on your wife. Just go skydiving. Go bull riding. So they actually talked about how inducing adrenaline actually helps to build your testosterone as well, which I had this kind of theory that maybe that's why us men do all these crazy fucking things is because our bodies know that we have low testosterone and it wants to build up this protection against diseases. So we have this like insane urge to go and like jump off of cliffs with like parachutes and do all this insane stuff and i feel like it might not just be like this mental like oh i need this because it's going to be cool but it might be like this chemical urge in us telling us to go do this to develop our our testosterone yeah that that's ricky's theory uh which <laughs> is a nice theory although in truth anyone who has looked at ricky i don't think he's had a day in his life of low testosterone i also uh would bet money that men who let's say you know, professionally jump off of cliffs for Red Bull or jump out of airplanes, they probably just have a higher level of testosterone overall than men who, let's just say, happily work at a desk job all day and are very risk avoidant. Um, so I think that's kind of a case of the chicken or the egg, which comes first. Does skydiving give you testosterone or do you just have to have, you know, large ass nuts to jump out of planes for a living? I don't know. Um, it definitely helps with spikes, um, but that's known to be true for women too. Like partners who do um, kind of quote unquote risky activities, even if it's just, you know, going for a long hike with your partner is known to help with bonding, um, hormones and libido. So you don't have to jump out of a plane to feel sexy, but getting out and doing something that maybe pushes your comfort zones a little bit is a known way to have a good first date or hundredth date. 
or any date. <laughs> in doing this research, I also found out that men get a spike in testosterone after they win like a fight, which makes sense in the animal kingdom. Like if there's a lion trying to protect its pride and he has a fight, then he gets this like surge of testosterone and that the loser in the fight will actually get a spike of cortisol. So they'll just want to go and like nurse their wounds and like they'll feel kind of depressed. Which is really important because if you got testosterone, even when you lost the fight, then you wouldn't be able to relax and heal and protect yourself. You would just, you know, be limping around on one leg trying to start another fight because you think you're a big man. Not a good, not a good idea. Um, so nature's kind of evolved men or creatures that fight with their big burly hairy muscles um, to feel very triumphant when they win, but also when they lose too, that is really important for them to have that kind of down sad feeling so that they go hide in a cave and can build up their strength and then try again later on. So what we got from the book was that the human species is not necessarily monogamous and there are other options to monogamy and that humans need sexual novelty to perform at our best. But that doesn't mean this is an easy conversation to have with your partner. Some couples decide that monogamy is the best way to go and other couples decide that polyamory is the best way and everyone kind of is entitled to their own opinion on this. This conversation can sometimes be hard to bring up, especially if, you know, in this culture that we've been brought up, understanding that monogamy is the only way. And they talked about what options men have, you know. If they're in a situation like that where they don't feel comfortable to talk to their partner, they could just lie and try not to get caught. They could just give up on having sex with other people and the result could be that they might have to take antidepressants or their libido will be killed um, or they might be more susceptible to disease or they can do serial monogamy where they divorce and then they start over. This serial monogamy idea is considered one of the best ideas because it's the only one that's honest. You love that person while you love them and then as soon as you just get completely like this massive pressure build up and you feel like cheating, instead of cheating you just break up. The book challenges this idea and it says that, is it more moral for you to break up a marriage, go through a divorce, disrupt your children's lives just to be able to fuck someone and then get bored of them and go and fuck someone else after that? And they also talk about how women's options are similar. Pretend not to notice that your husband or your partner is feeling this way or have a revenge affair or call in the lawyers and destroy the family. They're all losing options. Unfortunately, the book doesn't really give a solid like Here's the answer, guys. Like, this is how you have the perfect relationship. Because I think, in fact, it's going to be different for every couple. And I have found something that works for us. And obviously, you guys are open-minded as well if you're listening to this podcast and you're open to finding new solutions. And that's honestly the best step, first step. That's the best thing you can be doing. Yeah, guys, that's something we talk about in pretty much every episode is that whatever our relationship looks like is not necessarily what your ideal relationship should be. Um, it's just about keeping your mind open and making sure that you educate yourself, which is one reason why we think that reading books, even books about you know opinions that you might not agree with can be so important because even if you only got one really valuable nugget of information out of that entire <laughs> hundreds of pages of, of reading, um, that could be the thing that changes your life or saves your marriage or saves a future relationship. Um, so investing in books, podcasts, courses, whatever it is, Therapy, oh my god, yeah. therapy would, could fix the entire world if people just took care of their mental health, is so underrated right now. And I know it's hard during this pandemic and finances are short, but make sure that you are uh, trying to always broaden your horizon um, and keep growing even in this aspect because it's important. And do these things with your partner. Like, I know if I'd listened to this book by myself, it would have been only half as valuable. Like, 
getting to hear it with and then discuss things afterward, it evokes some conversations that we wouldn't have had and go through it and figure things out as a, as a couple because I know these issues do arise at some point in our relationship and when they do arise, we have a bit more knowledge behind the stance we decide to take and our solutions to solving these problems. In the end, the conclusion of the book was just not to beat yourself up. They said that it's natural to feel desire just because you and your partner are attracted to other people doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you or with your relationship and it doesn't mean there's something wrong with your partner. Just remember to relax and not take sex so seriously. Feeling temptation is natural and you shouldn't get angry at your partner for feeling tempted. You shouldn't feel angry at yourself for feeling tempted. You just need to understand that the best solution to it is getting more knowledge together as a couple, listening to resources, finding resources that help you get through things and being able to discuss. Well, and being able to, to work on it together. That's the thing is that the main point that this book wants to drive home is that you're not crazy. You will be attracted to other people even if you love your partner and you love your family and your relationship is good you will still think other people are sexy. Um, and you can lie to yourself and say that you don't, but I'm just saying the brain scans, they don't lie. Humans like other humans. That's how we are wired. Um, as I said, we're freaky monkeys, but you're not crazy. And that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with yourself or your partner and your marriage can totally be fine. You guys can be in a healthy, happy, monogamous relationship for the next hundred years if you so choose. Just don't pretend that you're not still looking at other people and don't lie to your partner and don't let them lie to you. You can talk about it and it's fine. If we're out in public, He's a girl who has a great ass. He points and he's like, babe, that girl's a great ass. And I'm like, God damn, yes, she does. And then we go on with our life. It doesn't have to be a big problem. You just got to like, you know, get on top of your shit, guys. You got this and read the book. Seriously, read the book. We want to say a massive thank you right now to everyone who's read our book. We've been amazed at all the reviews that we've gotten. But one thing is no one has left any reviews on our Amazon page. Well, no not publicly. You guys keep buying the book and then writing to us privately on Instagram being like, wow, this book just changed my life. So many great stories. Thank you. Um, and then no one wants to leave a review publicly. So essentially what our Amazon page looks like right now is a book with no reviews. And guys, that's kind of sad. That sucks. That, that doesn't help us reach more people. <laughs> so we have a massive favor to ask. If you have bought our book, or even if you haven't bought the book, I think you can still review. I don't know. But if you have bought our book, please leave us a review. It means so much to us and it helps get this information out to other people. Yeah, I know it's scary. Um, and I believe on Amazon, if you're worried about like your Amazon username showing up with your review, I think you could just leave like a five-star review um, rather than like a written review talking about the book. Um, and truthfully, if you're worried that like a coworker is also gonna search a How to Have Threesomes book and see your name and then judge you even when they're looking for the same book, maybe this lifestyle isn't for you. You gotta be brave, own your shit. <laughs> Point being, uh, because this is apparently is such a risky thing to ask for, we are willing to offer up something very valuable in exchange. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to give you the needs list. Now, this needs list is what a therapist gave to us when we were right about to break up. We were on the verge of deciding whether we wanted to continue with our relationship or not. And literally, I spent $200 an hour to book time with this therapist and it saved our relationship. It was the best money I've ever spent through the course of our therapy session, she gave us something extremely valuable called the needs paperwork. And what it did was it allowed us to circle our feelings onto the paper and really get to the core of why we felt the way we felt and be able to discuss it with each other for the first time in an open, honest way. Yeah, so essentially it's not just words that you circle. Um, made that sound really, really fancy, I know. But basically it will help you have conversations that you will maybe never have really gotten down to the root of before. 
um, and you'll have some really hard but really truthful conversations with your partner. This has saved our relationship multiple times. This has saved other people's relationship. And it is something that we offer in our coaching calls with people. It is also something that we offer in the video course that we're currently working on. And we will have a whole section on how we use it and the best ways to kind of integrate it in your life, in your checkups uh, with your partner. But for, for the brave few who are willing to, to venture to the Amazon review section of our book, you will be getting that for free. Uh, if you want to be one of those, those lucky, brave people, what you're gonna need to do is just screenshot the review that you leave once it's published um, and send it over to me either at the How to Have Threesomes Instagram, where we always love hearing from you guys, and we will send that right over. The last thing I wanna say in this episode, because so many of you have been so amazing um, in trading the podcast reviews to get our Tinder bio. I do just want to update you guys because I've been trying to send out these messages individually is that Tinder has recently updated um, their terms and they're banning couples. I know I mentioned this in the other episode with our unicorn, but it's something that they're taking very seriously right now because Tinder um, as a company is being kind of retarded um, and they don't want couples on the platform, even though we are happily matching consenting adults and making friends so basically, if you or your partner um, have used our old bio as a framework, you should now be editing it to look like you are a single person, potentially in an open relationship, um, looking for friends, and then explain after the fact what you are. Because if you have pictures of your partner on your feed, you'll get banned. If you say you're in a monogamous relationship, you will get banned. Um, and once you are banned once, you cannot get on. Tinder will ban you per device. So it doesn't matter if you change your phone number. It doesn't matter if you make a new Facebook. Um, you will get screwed out of the biggest dating pool of single people. So yeah. just keep in mind, um, Tinder is still the best place, I think, to meet people, but you have to be really careful um, in terms of representing that you're sharing an account, which now you should just not maybe share an account. We literally called up Julia's dad and we were like, can we use your phone number to make a new Tinder account? He was like, yeah, sure. And then it wouldn't let us because we have to wait until we get a whole new phone. Yeah. So phone has been device account. banned my phone has been device banned apparently our ipad has been device banned i don't even know when we had tinder on that and they all have three separate phone numbers we are now on our indonesian phone numbers we got banned through our vietnamese phone numbers we got banned through our american phone numbers it's it's getting desperate guys so i just want to point that out um i will still send our tinder bio in exchange so that you guys can see the type of pictures and the things that we talk about but just want to put that out there because i want you guys to find all your your fellow freaky monkeys out there in the world so we love you guys. You. You.